Okay, Tracy, today's topic is for parents of kids, of teens out there who are frustrated. They feel like they're not sure if they're doing a great job. There's a lot of conflict with their teens or even with their kids. We're going to talk today about the failing power tools of parenting, and we'll put a link to a book below for people who want to read a little bit more about this. This comes from Paul David Tripp's book called Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. And the power tools section is where is where the author talks about your inability as a parent. I want to read a quote from this book. And it, this can be a little bit depressing, but, but parents just hang in with us because we're going to get somewhere with this. Here's what, here's what he says. It is vital that you believe and admit that you have no power whatsoever to change your child. Tracy, that sounds really depressing. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good hook for a topic all about how to be a better parent. So what is he talking about there? Yeah, what he's speaking to is that our job as parents is to direct our child's heart to want to obey God, and that really the Holy Spirit is the only thing that could actually change, truly change the heart of our kids. So we're entrusted to kind of train and lead them and to train them up in the ways of the Lord. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit does the convicting and the changing of hearts. And I just think as parents, sometimes we put all this pressure on ourselves that everything about our kids and how they turn out and what happens to them is all on us. And then we revert and resort to some of these failing power tools we're going to talk about today, missing the point. And really, the way we train and parent then is taking our kids away from God because they equate how we treat them to the way God might treat them. Okay, so let me read another depressing quote. But again, this is helpful for parents to understand this because if you if you think you can change your kids or your teens by your own power, then you're going to be sorely disappointed by the end of this because no parent could ever do that. So he says this a little bit later in the chapter. This is from chapter four, by the way. The, the principle is inability, powerlessness. He, said, he writes this, parenting is not about exercising power for change in your children. I want to read that again because some of you listening, maybe you're driving in your car, couples, maybe you're listening to this together and you're like, whoa, this is like all, this is a whole new insight for me. So we really want you to get this. I'll read it again. Parenting is not about exercising power for change in your children. Parenting is about your humble faithfulness and being willing to participate in God's work of change for the sake of your child. Parents, here's what you need to understand, he writes. God has given you authority for the work of change, but he has not granted you the power to make that change happen. So there's a there's a lot of nuance in today's topic, Tracy. On the one hand, you have authority. Parents, you're the spiritual leaders of your kids. Some of that means that you need to understand how to discipline them appropriately. We'll talk a little bit about that today. So you do have authority and you have to respect that and manage it well. It's a responsibility. But on the other hand, you don't really have power because really God's got to do a big part of the work. And even your kid has to take ownership like we talk about all the time on this podcast. So we're going to talk about then in the context of that, we're going to talk about three failing power tools of parenting. Three three tools that we try to use to manipulate our kids and get them to change that then these tools don't work. And then each for each one of these tools, we're going to give you sort of a 
you know, uh, an antidote, like a, something to use instead of this power tool that will never work. The first one, Tracy, is fear. What is what is the failing power tool of fear all about? So this is that we want to control our kids' behaviors by yelling and, you know, invoking fear of our authority over them or a harsher punishment and hoping really at the end of the day that us basically scaring our kids or intimidating our kids is going to bring about the change that we're looking for. So for me, when I've been frustrated with our kids, no matter their age, a way that I would try to control a behavior that I wasn't liking is I would raise my voice and yell. And the problem is like when the kids were younger, like at first, you know, they react to that and they're like, oh, mom or dad is mad. They just kind of raise their voice, right? You can think about that when your kids are like toddlers, when you first start, you know, saying no, you know how they like start to learn like, okay, that tone of voice, like that must mean I need to stop what I'm doing. Right. And as our kids get older and their behaviors, you know, are amplified in different ways, we might yell louder. We might, um, say you're grounded for three weeks, you know, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, that that fear response, that reaction, when we react that way with just yelling or just giving some harsh punishment, is we're missing the point of the teaching element of that. We're just hoping to temporarily change the behavior in our kid based on fear. And just over time, that's not going to work because our kids are going to get older. I can only yell as loud as I can yell at a certain point. I'm going to get to a point where I can't yell any louder and our kids just kind of grow immune to that, right? Or I can only punish so many times. I can only take the phone away for six months so many times before your kids are like, okay, I mean, I'll just, I've, I've got used to not having a phone. So the, the power tool of fear just doesn't work if all we're doing is just reacting in anger and frustration and just trying to have this response that our kids are afraid of us and that will maybe change their heart. Okay. But I can hear a parent saying, if I don't raise my voice, if I don't um, get a little bit angry at my kids, they're, they're not going to pay attention to me. The reason I yell at them is because that's the only way to get them to listen. What would you say to that parent? Well, that's, I mean, trust me, as a yeller myself, I get it. <laughs> I mean, that is my natural response when I'm frustrated or annoyed or disappointed. But what I've had to realize over the years of parenting is that's not actually in the end getting the attention that we want from our kids. You know, they might, they might stop what they're doing in that moment, but if we're just yelling at them, they're just going to shut down. They're not listening to us, especially as we get into the preteen and teen years. It's much better if we're able to say, Hey, you know what? That's not okay. <laughs> what just happened? And so we need to talk about this and be more measured in our response rather than yelling. So there, we've got to find different ways to get our kids' attention because yelling just does not work. And I've seen that over the years that my kids would just start to tune that out because, I mean, you get used to the yelling. So then it's like, okay, mom's going to yell and be mad for a little bit and then we move on. It's going to be much better to say, hey, I mean, not that you don't have a firm tone, but not a yelling out of control anger tone is what we're talking about. That's just not going to work for the long haul. Okay. What about parents where maybe the wife is the, or the mom is the yeller, the husband is the chill one. What would you, you know, for the couples like that, that are listening to this, you, you know, you kind of have the good cop, bad cop scenario. What would you say to those couples? What advice would you give them? 
Well, to the, to the yeller, I just would say, you've got to find a different way to channel the frustration to be more about getting to the root of the issue than your reaction becoming the focus of the conversation. And if your spouse is the more chill one, then maybe you guys talk about, okay, what, what do we do the next time something like this happens? And I just want to fly off the handle. Um, maybe chiller parent can step in first and be like, Hey, you know what? Give us five minutes, go to your room. You know, mom and I are going to talk about a couple things or dad and I are going to talk about a couple things. And then we're going to come chat with you. And it kind of gives the more, uh, the parent that more responds reactively with anger to have a couple minutes to chill, to be like, okay, instead of yelling, what, what are we going to go in there and talk about? What are we going to do with this situation? Yeah, we were just giving some counsel to a dad who he and his wife are split up. So they're trying to, you know, co-parent their kids from a, from a broken home scenario. And he does tend to yell and she, she acts more like a friend to their kids. So part of the problem there, and this is helpful for both couples like this to understand for both the mom and the dad to understand this is sometimes the dynamic is created there. The yeller doesn't necessarily want to yell. Now, sometimes there is a self-control issue and in, in, you, you know who you are if you're listening, but it, in other cases, I think sometimes it's because the person who's yelling just feels so powerless and they're not just frustrated at their kid, but they're frustrated at their spouse. And Tracy, wouldn't you agree that it's important to get mom and dad to sit down? Even if, even if it's a broken home, it's important to get mom and dad to sit down and say, look, we've got to team up on this better. We d I don't want to have to be. So if you're the yeller, maybe you need to sit down and say, listen, let's listen to this podcast together because we, re we really have got to, for the sake of our kids, we've got to get better at this. And so the yeller might need to say to the other, to the other parent, could you please help? How about you be more the disciplinarian for this next season of, of life? Because I don't want to alienate myself from our kids. I don't want to break our kids. I don't want to use this failing power tool with our kids. So you, I might need a little bit of your help. So for the, for the parent who is, who tends to be a little bit more passive, maybe part of the solution is that you need to get more involved in discipline. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, the reason why the fear is a failing power tool is because we, we don't want our kids to just avoid our wrath right? We don't want it to just be, oh my gosh, okay, mom or dad gets so mad. And so what do I need to do in this moment just to get this attention off of me? That's what Paul Tripp's talking about. The reason why that's a failure then is because you're not getting to the root of the issue. You're not talking about why your kid maybe responded that way, why they're being disrespectful, why they told a lie, because the focus is on how mom or dad chose to react when they discovered that. And then your reaction is doing potentially added damage to your kid because of your yelling or throwing something or being too harsh in a punishment that then your kid's just kind of like, I'm just going to shut down and I'm just not really going to listen to what you have to say. So you never get to the real conversations that we need to get to, which is going to be more of the antidote to this here. We'll talk about in a second, but I just want to encourage parents. And again, this is, this is, I speak from this as a parent that has fallen prey to trying to use fear as a way to control my kids, that it just doesn't work. And I don't want, I never wanted my kids to feel like, what do I need to say or do right now just to get mom to be quiet? What I really wanted was, I want you to know that that was disappointing to me. And this needs to be a teaching moment 
So you don't keep doing this in your life. Cause my job is your parents to train you to be a healthy functioning, independent adult. Yeah. And we're not saying here, I think it's important. This is the nuance again. We're not saying that you shouldn't discipline your kids. Right. So I don't, we don't want parents to listen to this saying, oh man, my kids are afraid of discipline. And so I shouldn't discipline them. That's not what we're saying. We're, we're saying that when you, when you, threaten, when you yell, when you lose your cool, when you, I mean, a good way to think about it is the fruit of the spirit. If you, if you're disciplining and you're not using the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, well, maybe you can't do it with joy, but (laughs) you can still be patient. You can still be peaceful. It's all about being in control. Tracy, you're so right that, that kids, and we've seen this so many times with families that we're, we've helped in the past that kids are acting like the mature ones and the parents are acting like the ones who are out of control because they're so frustrated. And and just parents, just pay attention. Your kids feel like they have the upper hand when you lose your cool and and w- when you fly off the handle. And so you're, you're losing mm-hmm. when you do that because now they're justifying, like you said, Tracy, they're justifying, they're going, they might go to their room, but they're justifying like, my parent is crazy. My parent is crazy and, and out of control and they might be right. And so you're, you're miss, they're missing the whole point because you're missing the whole point. And I know it's easier said than done, mm-hmm. trust me. You know, for us, Tracy, we were blessed with pretty, pretty fairly well-behaved kids, but I know that some some parents are dealing with really rebellious teens. And then that this one just, we get it. This one gets really, really hard. How do you walk that line where you really are trying to keep your cool? You, But I guess the point that we're saying is, Really try to enforce loving discipline, not no discipline, but loving, measured discipline rather than this sort of reactive um, sort of, uh, I don't know, explosive Mm -hmm. response that creates fear in your kids. Well, and what I would say to that too, Brian, is that if you are that parent that you've kind of reverted to fear as your tactic, take some time to kind of do a self inventory. What are you really reacting to beyond, beyond just the behavior that annoys you about your kid? But like, like for me, the thing that would really tick me off the most would be a disrespectful, disrespectful tone that to me hit at a form of disrespect from my kids. And I don't like that. I don't like to feel like I'm being belittled or not respected. So some of that is I needed to realize that was the source of where a lot of my anger would come from. So rather than just lashing out at the kids, I needed to sit down with them and talk about what does respect look like and how are you going to treat mom and dad? How do you treat your teachers and other adults and, and kind of come at it with more of the loving discipline. Let's have some conversation and let me as the parent recognize what am I reacting to in that behavior in my kid so that it can be a teaching moment of shaping our kids' character and bringing them to a place of saying, here's what God's word says about that, rather than just that hitting something in our heart that we don't like, and then we just react and yell and are harsh, but we never teach. Yeah, and parents, if if you're listening to this and you just feel a real sense of conviction, thinking, man, I've really blown it in this. I have definitely abused fear I have flown off the handle with my kids. Honestly, one of the best things you could do is sit them down and apologize. For Say, sure. I am, I'm so sorry. I, I feel like I have maybe in the last few months, maybe in the last few years, maybe your whole life as a parent, 
man, what a powerful moment it would be to sit down with your kid if they're old enough to get this. And I think most kids are five, six, seven, even the teenagers to sit down and say, look here, I apologize. I need to own my part in this. And once you do that and genuinely do that, then I think Tracy, right, then you can maybe get to some of the other things where you're having a conversation about it. And here, you know, so parents, you could say something like this, here's what I need from you. I need you to help me in this. I'm not, I'm not justifying my anger. I'm not justifying some of my failing power tools of parenting here, but I am going to say to you kids, I need your help in this way. And, and then I think you can maybe have a real conversation, like a face-to-face conversation, and hopefully get your kids on, kind of on your side a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Saying, okay, yeah, I need, maybe your kids will even say, I'm sorry that I am, sometimes I make it hard on you. And you might have a really neat moment there, and it might really change things in your home. Very true. I think that's one of the best tools of parenting, when we can apologize, when we know we've missed the mark. We're not modeling the behavior we want from our kids. When we're able to acknowledge that, that goes a long way in earning trust with our kids, for sure. Okay, so that's the first failing power tool. We've got three. So number two is reward. Now, Tracy, you're going to have to explain this because I always thought rewarding your kids was a good thing. So what are we talking about when we say that reward is a failing power tool of parenting? So we're talking about this more where it's like a reactive rewarding, where it's like your kid, like how many times I see this in the grocery store where a kid is like screaming and yelling and they want something and their parents like, you know, you know, Billy, be quiet. And they're not listening. They're making a scene. And so they're just, they go down the candy aisle and they just give their kid the candy or a toy and then the kid's quiet for a while. So what, what they did there is I just need you to be quiet. So I'm going to reward you. in this moment with, for this bad behavior. So there's no shaping, there's no correction, there's no rewarding for something good. It's just, how do I get you to stop doing this bad behavior right now? And it's really, at the end of the day, truthfully, it's a manipulative tactic in terms of, as a parent, I need you to stop this bad behavior because you're making me look bad or I'm embarrassed. So what do I need to do just to shut you up? So again, it's kind of like, The fear thing, if all I do is just yell and scream when my kid does something that I don't like, I'm not getting to really the root. I'm not peeling the onion, so to speak, to say, hey, what was this behavior? Why are you behaving that way? What were you feeling in that moment? How does that affect other people? How do we train our kid in that? Same thing with this reactive rewarding. If we're just rewarding our kid for bad behavior because we want them to stop doing something in a moment, then what we're just teaching them is, hey, great. I can get away with whatever I want because mom and dad just, you know, they're, they're more worried about how it makes them look maybe in a moment. So I'm getting rewarded for this bad behavior. And the problem is if you keep that pattern up where you're just rewarding your kid for, for something that you want them to stop doing rather than rewarding them for something good that they're doing, like the reward system, you're going to end up spending a lot more money. Like the, the, the rewards going to have to get bigger and bigger to give your kid the desire to be like, hmm, let me weigh out. Do I want to keep doing this? Or, oh, wait, mom said she'd give this to me if I stop. Well, what would I prefer? It's just, again, it's not, it's not an effective parenting tool of shaping your kid's heart toward God. And it starts, like you said, Tracy, it starts off as a manipulative, manipulative tactic on the parent's part, but it quickly turns into, because kids are smart, 
it quickly turns into a tool the kid can use now to manipulate mm-hmm. you. So that you're, you're, what you're actually doing is you're, it's like Pavlov's dog, you're encouraging, you don't mean to, but you're encouraging bad behavior. You, you really see this in, in little kids. It's pretty obvious in little kids is, huh, that's funny. Every time I cry, when we go to the store, I get, I get a treat. Okay, well, what do you, guess what they're going to do? <laughs> exactly. they're gonna, you're teaching them to cry mm-hmm. when every time you go to the store. They might not even be thinking intentionally about it as a little kid, but you better believe teenagers, you know, older kids are picking up on that kind of stuff, and they're going to they're gonna do whatever they're going to need to do to get your get the reward they want. And, you know, Trace, for teenagers, the reward isn't even always um, a, a thing, right? Don't you think that it's true for teenagers that sometimes if the only attention that they're getting from their parents are when they're acting out, mm-hmm. the reward is attention. Yeah. And so they'll act out to get your attention. I, I know that might be really hard for parents to hear and understand, but if if the only time you're you're paying attention or talking to or communicating with your teenager is is in conflict, then for a lot of kids, they're so hungry for a relationship with you. They're so hungry for your attention that maybe they'll create the conflict just so that they have some of your attention. Well, that's just what's crazy about parenting and kids and just human nature. And again, that's kind of what Paul Tripp's whole point is that really at the end of the day, all of us have this sickness in our heart, this sin, selfish way about us, the sin nature that only the Holy Spirit can give us the new heart that can change us from the inside out. And so as parents, when we see things in our kids, it's not good to just reward them for bad behavior and then hope that someday they figure out, oh, I shouldn't, I can't just scream and yell when I don't get my way. I mean, if you're doing that when they're three, Trust me, when they become five, seven, eight, 12, like it's only going to get more complicated as they get older if that's how you've trained them to think. Like I can get away with whatever I want. I can do whatever I want because mom and dad don't ever give me the negative consequence. And think about that parents that for those of you that have younger kids, like, so let me go back to the example. There were more than one time that I would be in the grocery And I won't name which child of ours was more prone to being whiny and wanting their way that I had to literally say, like, if you do not stop that right now, we are going to leave the store and we're going to go home and, you know, whatever. You're not going to get the, I said, when we went to the store, you could have a dessert or whatever. And I had to like leave, I had to put the groceries back and go home because they would not stop. (laughs) Now, would it have been easier? And was I tempted? Absolutely. Just to be like, okay, here, take the sucker. Can you just be quiet? I need to do the grocery shopping. But at the end of the day, as parents, like my job is to train and to teach. So if I didn't do it then, and I let let them get away with that bad behavior and reward bad behavior, then trust me, it's going to happen the next week or the next month. And it's only going to grow bigger and bigger. The problem you have to shape it. And, and for parents, sometimes that means sacrificing our own ease of life because we have to follow through on the training piece of that behavior is not okay. I'm not going to reward that bad behavior. Now the antidote is more of the proactive praise. So in that example with one of our kids that then the next time we're at the grocery 
and they start to whine and I give them the warning. We're not going to do that. And if you, if you continue, then we're going to go home and you're going to have to take a nap or whatever, which at certain ages was, was like a punishment to our kids. And if they stopped and they adjusted and showed self-control, then a proactive reward to be rewarding for the good behavior. You know what, buddy? I'm so, oh, sorry, I let that slip. Oh, we know it's the buddy boy now. Princess, you know, we, now we know. Yeah, so you, you know what? I'm so proud of you for showing self-control. I know you were upset and you wanted something else, but you were obedient, you listened. Then you reward more proactively because we praise our kids and want to reward them all the time, but I... The difference is, are we reactively rewarding because we want to stop a bad behavior or are we proactively rewarding something that we're trying to train in our kids? Yeah. Remember one of our parenting principles, super basic principle is that every kid needs praise. And so it praise is different than rewarding bad behavior. Praise is when you're, when you're going out of your way, it becomes a culture of praise. And I, I don't want our listeners to misunderstand that this, this isn't a, you know, everyone gets a gold star thing. This is genuinely, genuinely looking at things that are unique to your kids that you can genuinely praise them for, encourage them in, and making it a cultural thing in your home. And again, so for some of our parents, they're thinking, man, that is so foreign to me. And that's me. That kind of thing is foreign to me. So this was work for me to really look at being proactive with my praise of our kids and but parents you'll be so glad that you did it if you if you begin to change the culture in your home rather than as you said Tracy just doing the easy thing in the moment that's more reactive like I'll do whatever whatever I have to do to get the reaction that I need you know to get the behavior that I need in the moment and a lot of times that's because it's because you're not you're not in it to win it as a parent. You're not really like parenting your kid is on the back burner a little bit. You're more focused on what you went to the store for or, or whatever. And this is, again, this is, I'm, I'm preaching to myself now because this is something that I, that it's easy to think about parenting as a side thing that you're doing rather than, no, this is one of the main things in this season of my life right now. This is one of the main things that I'm doing. And Tracy, maybe you can encourage parents that it gets better. If you put the work in early, like many things in life, if you put the work in early, it'll, it'll pay off at the end of the day with your kids. Well, and I think as we started, just if, if I have, if my starting point as a parent is that the responsibility isn't all on me, because then that's a very heavy burden to raise these little people <laughs> that have their own ideas and will to exercise. But that I'm rather been entrusted by God to raise these guys, to lead them to want to live for Jesus and honor him with their life, that I'm just kind of in a supporting role. And that kind of takes some of the pressure off that hopefully would, then I wouldn't be as quick maybe to relate to the power tool of fear or reactive rewarding because I'm understanding like my job is a big job. If you want to be a great parent, it takes work. Like you said, Brian, it's, it's sacrifice. It's patience. It's not being reactionary. It's looking for teaching opportunities rather than just the easy thing. Like, how do I get you to stop doing this? Cause that's so annoying to me. Like that little heart needs to be shaped. And your job as a parent is to help 
the Holy Spirit in that by directing them towards biblical principles, modeling it yourself and training them to want to obey God like they've obeyed you. Okay, so we've talked about fear. We've talked about reward. And the third failing power tool of parenting is shame and guilt. And hold on a second, Tracy, because I say this all the time. <laughs> we have two kids and the now that they're older, uh, they're both in their 20s now, they, they both admit to us that they had a really guilty conscience. And they did a lot of things that they did in their younger years, they did because they felt guilty if they didn't. And so you might need to explain this because I've always thought, that a little bit of a guilty conscience is a good thing. Well, it's not that a little bit of a guilty conscience is, it can be a good thing because we, we want our kids to have a tenderness towards wanting to honor us as parents and ultimately to honor God. So when they do something that they know was disobedient, having, having some guilt over that is okay. But the problem with guilt is that's just kind of a fleeting feeling. The, the question is, is it, you know, like how Paul would say it in the Bible, is it worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow? Is it worldly sorrow? Like, ah, oh, shoot, I got caught. I know I feel guilty, but I'm going to be doing that again and again and again and again versus the repentant godly sorrow is I know that made mom and dad's heart sad. I don't want to make their heart sad. I know that ultimately that makes God's heart sad. I don't want to do that. I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to choose a different behavior. So as parents, we don't want to try to exert control over our kids by making them feel guilt and just a guilt trip all the time. Or I do so much for you. All I do all day is work hard and I come home and clean and do your laundry. And, the, and all I ask of you is this and you can't even do that. Like, again, even though there's some truth to that that is not a motivating thing that's going to change the heart of your kid because really you're coming at that more from a selfish point of view as a parent to be like, woe is me. I do all this stuff and you can't even do this rather than saying, Hey, you know what? You, sh you should feel bad that you lied to us. That is so sad to us. How are we going to move forward where lying does not become a pattern in your life? So no, I'm not going to just make you feel guilty for that. I want to train. I want to turn that into something to say, so how do, how do we move forward with you not continuing in that pattern of behavior? You know, Tracy, just thinking about these three failing power tools, it, it really does take an emotionally healthy person to be a good parent. Because as you've mentioned in, e in each of these, I want to make sure to highlight this. So the, one of the reasons this for many people, this, these are failing power tools is because parents, you're making it about you. You're not really thinking about your kid and helping your kid develop and take ownership. So it's all about you. It's a lot of these things are about you. And again, kids are going to see that kids are going to pick up on that. And so when you parent from a place of insecurity, when you parent from a place of um, narcissism, when you when you make your parenting about, here's why you need to obey me, it's because of me, rather than you need to be obedient for your sake, it'll, it'll be good for you in the long run. I'm here to serve you and to help you. This isn't about me. This isn't, so many parents are so offended by their kids. They take it so personally. And at the end of the day, it's not really about you, parents. Your, your kids are going to have to grow up and take ownership of their own lives they're going to have bosses to answer to. They're going to have God to answer to. 
And if you just think it's about you, and if you make them just think it's all about their relationship with you, it's not going to serve them well at the end of the day. Ephesians 6, it says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother is the first commandment with a promise. Here's the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you'll have a long life on earth. It's not about your father and mother. Honoring your father and mother isn't just about your father and mother. It's, it's, the best, it's, it's the best thing for you. And that's part of what we need to teach our kids is, kids, we want you to understand. We want you to take ownership for your own life, for your sake, for your good. This is about you. It's not about me. So parents, really, maybe at the end of this episode, maybe you're going to talk about this as a couple or talk about it with a mentoring couple. I mean, really ask yourselves that question, look in the mirror and say, is there something inside of me that I need to deal with here? Is there something, is there some brokenness in me that's coming through in my parenting so that I'm, so I'm, I'm using fear with my kids or I'm trying to use reward with my kids or I'm trying to shame them or guilt them and make it all about how they're how they're hurting me and how they're offending me. Is there, is there something about our home that is so parent-centered? It, it, the home shouldn't be kid-centered either, right? Tracy, the home should be God-centered. And when, when parents are parenting with that in mind, hopefully kids get the idea and then kids are going to eventually gonna grow up to follow God as well. Well, and I think as parents too, like we said earlier, when, when you mess up, when you're able to take ownership and say, hey, kiddos, you know what? We talk about self-control a lot. Mom lost her cool. I shouldn't have raised my voice like that. When we can show ownership as we're training our kids, you know, really having meaningful interaction, like loving discipline is going to take calm, a plan, proactivity, you know, that we're not just rewarding bad behavior. All of those things working together, you are helping to shape your kid's heart to understand God's love for them, God's plan for them, that God's best is always going to be their best, that obeying, obeying God is going to lead them on the path that God has for them. When they disobey and go aside from that, they're going to be in trouble and they're going to bring consequence in their life that they don't want, that it's all just kind of this thing coming together that God first in your home training up your kids, taking ownership for your own actions too as a parent, that it becomes kind of fertile soil that really brings your kids to that place of saying, I'm not a victim here. When I make a bad choice, I have to own my consequence. Those are huge things for kids to be learning from a young age so that when they become adults, like you said, Brian, and they go in the workforce, you don't, you don't get to say, hey, my mommy would, <laughs> would reward me when I did that. Why are you, why are you putting me on a, you know, a discipline plan? That's not how the world works. So don't, don't fail your kids by making mistakes this way of trying to control your kids or just trying to do the easy thing. That's not really about cultivating their heart. Yeah. One of the things that we said to our kids often as we were raising them in those early years is look, we're not perfect. We, we, you know, we're going to mess up as parents but our job is to help you take ownership of your life. Maybe you'll be better parents than we are, and you'll be in the same place. And I, and I hope you're good parents too, and I hope you take your responsibility seriously. So we would talk about it a lot of times really f with vision, like trying to create a vision for their lives that, 
hey, this is just a season we're in right now. We're in a season, you're in a season. We're doing the best we can. I hope you're doing the best you can. And someday the tables are going to be turned and you're going to be in our shoes. And 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 then we're going to be laughing at you as you're raising our grandkids. <laughs> you know, well, we didn't say it like that. But I, I think that that kind of language really helped our kids. It what we weren't we didn't make it about us. We didn't we didn't uh, put the focus on us so much in our parenting. We but we also didn't make it about them. We just made it about hey we're we're trying to do our part. We hope you'll you'll do your part. And then when you grow up, we hope that you'll make some of the same decisions that we've made as parents out of love for you and out of love for God. And uh, and we hope you make fewer of the mistakes that we've made. That kind of attitude with your kids is, I don't know, for us at least, Trace, it really helped in raising our kids instead of kind of reverting to some of these failing power tools. And I want to finish maybe this episode by going back to the book. Again, we'll put a link to this book uh, in the show notes for today. But here's one of the things that the author writes at the end of this chapter. He says, it is important to understand two things. Number one, this is the work that God has called us to as parents, and we cannot settle for anything less. It is work. Mm-hmm. This is not the easy way out. It is work to make better choices as a parent rather than using some of these failing power tools. And number two, he says, we have no ability to do this work on our own. And recognizing our inability is essential to being what we are supposed to be and doing what we, we are supposed to do as parents. So really kind of entering this, this parenting task, responsibility, privilege, entering it with just humility, saying, I don't have it all figured out, but man, God, I need your help. And, and you know, parents, go to God in prayer. Say, help, help us. Help us to get on the same page. Help us to do the right thing here. Help us to just set our kids up for the best possible future for them. And, you know, and your kids are going to screw up. Your kids are going to make mistakes. And if you're in a difficult season right now, just want to encourage you, like, pray that it's just a season. You know, you, you might be able to get through this season and look back even with your kids and say, man, are we glad that we made it through that season. But with God's help, you can do it.